If I haven't met you, I'm Matthew, and it's, uh, it's really good to be back with you, Kingsway. Um, I've been gone the last two Sundays, and I am thankful that uh, this church is not built around me. This church is not built on me. May it never be built around or on a pastor. May it always be built on the Word of God and Christ and Him crucified. Um, but it's good to be back with you. Two weeks ago, I was able to serve our brother Josh Earl. Some of you know him. He's a pastor at the Sovereign Grace Church, Grace City Church in Wilmington. Really good to be with that church. Elise and I got to spend some time with Josh and Michelle afterward, who are really dear friends to us, uh, encouraging them in the work God's called them to. And then the following week, our family went on va- a vacation of sorts um, and worshiped last Sunday with our friends at Grace Bible Church uh, just down the road. Um, but I was, I was telling Kevin Dudley this morning that, that in both places, um, as soon as the service ended, I really missed our church family. Um, I told Kevin that it's just a reminder, the local church is not, it's not just a service or a formal thing that we all come in and kind of participate in and then, okay, church is done and out we go, right? The, the church is a spiritual family. And so when the formal part of this gathering that we're in right now, wraps up in a little while, remember that the informal but equally critical part of this gathering is just beginning. What what do I mean by that? That that after this service is more than an opportunity to catch up over coffee. Okay? It's a God-ordained moment, as Paul says in Romans 1, for us to be mutually encouraged by one another's faith. It's an opportunity to share how God's been at work in your life, to hear what he's doing in other people's lives, to, for us to pray together, to encourage each other not to lose heart in the good fight, to, to keep on loving and obeying Jesus. So please, friends, do not get in the habit, Lord protect us from this, of just rushing out of here quickly because we have things to do. All right? Let me tell you something. You have things to do. And guess what the most important among them is when this service gets out? It's an opportunity for you to be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. Remember that. That the conversations we have on Sunday morning before and after service, they're, they're an essential part of why we gather. So friend, steward them accordingly. Don't take that for granted. All right, that's the preamble. Uh, Since September of of last year, we have been preaching through the book of Deuteronomy. You're going to hear God's word preached in just a few moments, but I I want to explain why we're going to do something a little bit different for the next couple weeks. Uh, We've been in a series in Deuteronomy called Ruled by a Gracious God, and we titled it that because I think we don't naturally think of authority and grace as going together. Right? We, we tend to think of them, at least emotionally in our culture, as opposites. But, but they really do go together in the kingdom of God. Because in the kingdom of God, his, his authority is a marvelous expression of his love. For you, for me, for the, the rest of the world. Because in his great love, our God draws his people out of the world. And he sets them apart for himself to know him, to, to serve him, to, to live for his priorities and his purposes. And at the beginning of Deuteronomy 12, we, we arrive at a, a rather important transition in the book. 
if you're not aware of this. So Moses has just spent seven chapters, five through 11, uh, summarizing the general principles of the law. Mosaic law, the, the contours, the fundamentals of Israel's covenant relationship with God. Uh, beginning with the Ten Commandments in chapter 5. That's why we parked there for a while. We pulled the handbrake in that section. And in chapters 12 through 26, Moses gives his third sermon. Deuteronomy is just a collection of sermons. On the plains of the Jordan, Israel's getting ready to enter the promised land. And in this next one that's coming up that we're about to go into, Moses fleshes out, kind of double-click, so to speak, the general principles in 5 through 11 with lots of specific laws in 12 through 26 that really do mark off the people of Israel from the surrounding nations. That's their function. But this section we're about to begin, I think, is, is often where people really get bogged down in studying not just Deuteronomy, but, but really the whole Old Testament and, and the law in general. You know, you, you just get to a point where you think, what in the world does all this stuff about animal sacrifices and food laws have to do with following Jesus today? Well, we're going to dive into those questions, okay? We're not going to avoid them. We'll get to them. But before we do, I want us to pause for a couple weeks and consider this. How does the Lord mark off his people from the world today? He was doing it back then. How's how's he doing that today? Because here's really the question. On, On this side of Jesus' death and resurrection, under the new covenant, under the new way of relating to God that that the gospel provides, how does our king set us apart from the world? How does he do that? So in Moses' day, you had to be part of the ethnic people of Israel. You had to be circumcised if you were a male. You had to observe the Mosaic law, male and female alike. And, And many Christians have this kind of vague sense that since then, something has changed. Just a vague general sense, you know, almost that I really hope something's changed because I haven't been doing all that. But we, we sense that the way God has set his church apart from the world has to be different in some way than the way he set Israel apart from the world. But we're not really sure what that looks like. We just have a sense. Can you relate to that? Well, here's the good news, brothers and sisters. God, God is just as interested today as he was in Israel's day in showing the world where to look to see the joy and life of blessing in his kingdom. Just as interested in that. He he sets us apart through membership in the local church, his authorized representative on earth. We, We make distinctions between the church and the world on Jesus' behalf, in an initial way, through the sacrament of baptism, and in an ongoing way, through the sacrament of the Lord's Supper. And if you have no clue what I meant by what I just said, take heart. That's what we're going to talk about for the next couple of weeks. We, we need to understand the authority God has given us as a body, as a church. Because this is Jesus' idea. This is his plan to set his people apart from the world through the sacraments, through our practice of church membership. And we need to understand, this is really important, how that authority is an incredible expression of God's love. Because we're ruled by a gracious God 
love and authority go hand in hand. So we're going to take three weeks to study how church membership and the sacraments work. Kind of the foundation, if you would, of how Jesus sets us apart from the world, which I think is really going to help us interpret and apply all the detailed laws in the second half of Deuteronomy in their proper context. Here's two other reasons I'm excited to do that. Um, as, we, as we talked as a pastoral team, we've, we've recognized in the last couple months that, that we haven't covered on Sunday morning yet some of the teaching that we've brought in our membership class the last couple years uh, when it comes to the sacraments and church membership. And, and we've also observed as God is just wonderfully bringing men and women in into our church family from different religious backgrounds, that we're coming in with all sorts of different ideas about what baptism is, uh, what the Lord's Supper is, and, and how they function in the life of the church. Again, we, we just tend to have these vague senses, apart from studying God's word, that, yeah, I, I have a sense that's important and that's important, but I don't really know how all that's working and fitting together. The, the Lord has better for us, friends. He has more for us. So, so let me make a single request. Okay, here's the, here's the request. We are going to confront in a major way the next couple of weeks cultural notions of inclusivity. We're going to take that on because that's what the word of God takes on. And, okay, and we may even confront some long-standing intuitions or beliefs you might have about what the sacraments are. We might do that (laughs) because that's something else that the word of God is faithful to do. So here's my ask. As we do this next three weeks, would you listen carefully? Would would you listen with a humble heart? Would, Would you not listen for, I sure hope they say what I want to hear. Would you listen for, what is the word of God actually say? What is God calling us to? And how does he set us apart from the world for our good, for his glory? And where you have questions or or wrestling with something you hear, let's talk about that, okay? Let's talk as a church family. Let's talk with our elders because these are really important matters. Here's my governing desire, okay? And then Caleb's gonna come up and preach after Beth reads from Matthew 16. We, We wanna be a church. This is what drives us, all that we do, friends. We wanna be a church that is governed under the word of God. Remember what I said at the beginning, this isn't like the Matthew show or Matthew's church. We want to be ruled by the word of God. And that includes areas where Christians have historically disagreed about stuff. This being one of them. Okay. We we don't want to shy away or like, we're not going to touch that because that could offend somebody. Well, you know what? God's word loves us enough to offend us. Because God loves us enough to offend us. So we don't want to shy away from stuff or or just stick with what's comfortable or easy. We want to be ruled by God's word. We want to build this church on God's word because that's what this church has been built on for 34 years. And it's not going to stop under my watch. And I believe that's your heart too. I know I'm not alone in saying that. So I'm really excited for how God's going to strengthen our understanding of scripture next few Sundays. So here's where we're going. Caleb's going to preach from Matthew 16 today on the church's authority. And then I'm going to preach two sermons next two Sundays on baptism and the Lord's Supper in preparation, Lord willing, for welcoming 12 adults into membership at Kingsway on Sunday, July 9th. Isn't that exciting? So thank you for hanging with me through this. I hope that 
introduction is helpful for you. Beth, would you come and read God's word? And then Caleb will preach to us. It's good to be back, friends. Turn with me to Matthew 16, verses 13 to 20. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. This concludes the reading of the word of God. Good morning, church. You've not already, please open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 through 20. I love the church. If there's anything that I could pull a Matthew Williams 12-part series on, it would be the church. I love the church. Let's do it, man. Let's do it. Let's do it. (laughs) So a dear friend and family member always says, let's get emotional <laughs> whenever, whenever we get together. I, I love the church of God. It's something that I think is to be talked about and to be cherished. And what we're going to be studying this morning, for me, I'm just like a, a kid in a candy shop because there's so many parts of the church. There's so many glories and beauties of the church that deserve talking about. And we're just going to talk about this morning the identity of the church and the authority of the church. I hope to, in a sense, clear the beach so that Matthew can come in on baptism and the Lord's Supper. So we're, we're talking about a, a heavy topic. But if there, was, if there was two points to talk about first, and there's much to talk about with the church, you have to start with what is the church? What's the identity and authority of the church? So this morning, I want to start us off with a question. What is the church and why is she so important? I bet many of you, like me, have asked the question, this question, at one point or another, perplexed by its role in the Christian life. Within our circles, within evangelicalism, we love Jesus and we love the Bible. But I wonder how often we, with the same vigor and affection, would say, I love the church. What does it matter if I'm a Jesus follower? 
with a Bible and at a church? Or what if I'm at home listening to a podcast and there's a guy that loves Jesus expositing scripture there? Or if I'm at work and I'm in an executive business Christian Bible study or I'm part of a Beth Moore Bible study virtually wherever. Doesn't the Bible say wherever two or three are gathered in your name that I'm there? Isn't that all that really matters, Caleb? Aren't you splitting hairs about the church with such a small percentage of people already interested in church. And the fact that Generation Z is being rightfully claimed to be a post-Christian generation, aren't you, aren't you, again, splitting hairs on this? Are you making a mountain out of a molehill? Why do I, as a Christ follower, really need a church when I have Jesus in the Bible? How would you answer that question? What is the church and why is she so important? Why should you join a local church? I live a busy life. The church sinned against me. I'm enjoying God where I'm at and I've never been more spiritually alive apart from the local church. What's the big deal with attending? This larger question that I'm asking really boils down to those two big stones. What is the church, the identity of the church, and what authority does she have for us in our lives as Christ followers living under the authority of God in the Bible? So this morning's point, if there's anything to take away, it's this. The church's identity is grounded in the good news of Jesus Christ. And he has delegated authority to affirm and deny professions of faith to his church. We're going to see this, just the two points. This is a two-point sermon. The identity of the church and the authority of the church. Go ahead, take notes. Those are the most clever points you'll see in a sermon. So as we look at the text in front of us, as we look at Matthew thir- or, excuse me, 16, The first thing we have to do whenever we read a text in our Bibles, because we love and cherish God's word, we have to look at the context that we're walking into. So just before Jesus comes to Caesarea Philippi, Christ did something. He warned his disciples about the Sadducees and the Pharisees. He warned them of the teachings of the Sadducees and Pharisees. He used the analogy of leaven and bread, which the disciples didn't get. Christ said, watch and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. That word watch is a tricky word. That word carries along with it the idea of being perceptive. Be perceptive to the leaven, to the teaching of the Pharisees and the Sadducees, which were a false spiritual authority. And so what we need to pick up from this is that there are false spiritual authorities and there is a true spiritual authority. And the church just as we're reading what Matthew just said, we're in Deuteronomy, be perceptive, King's way. We're not Israel, we're something different. We're the church. 
The moment that Christ came and died and was buried and rose again and ascended to the Father's right hand and rules and reigns spiritually in heaven, that has an impact on God's people. And so when we get to 13, verse 13, Jesus asks Peter a question. Do you see the context? Who do people say that I am? He's talking about authority here. And Peter answers with some pretty good answers. He said, well, you know, some people say, I mean, I can just imagine whatever the equivalent of the Wall Street Journal is, you know. Well, the newspaper said people on the street are saying, Jesus, you're, you're John the Baptist or Elijah, you know, it, or, or Jeremiah. And, and, and those are great answers. You know, John the Baptist is the last prophet. You got Elijah, who typified the office of prophet during the divided kingdom. You got Jeremiah, who is a great example of a suffering prophet that represented the people to God. And then Jesus asks Peter, but who do you say that I am? And the most important question for any of us is the answer to that question. That is the most important thing about you, is answering that question. And so when it doesn't matter what the headlines say about Jesus Christ, what matters is what you believe about Jesus Christ. And so when Jesus asks Peter this question, Peter's answer to that question is just as much a statement about himself as it is about Jesus Christ. And that's the same for us. How we answer the question of who Jesus is speaks to the marrow of who we are just as it does and as it speaks to who Jesus is. And so Peter's response is this, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Living God is an Old Testament descriptor of God. We've actually seen it several times already in the book of Deuteronomy. When we jump back into the book of Deuteronomy, I want you to be on the lookout for that. Peter is associating Jesus not only as Messiah Yeshua, he is also, he is the son of God, my Messiah, my Savior. And that proclamation and cherishment of the gospel is the testimony of every believer. It is the testimony of the bride of Christ, the church. But when Peter makes this declaration, it wasn't just the right answer on the spiritual SAT. This isn't just a mental assent for Peter. This is a wholehearted declaration of who Jesus was. And when we talk about the true church, when we try to catch a glimpse of her and what she's like, when you answer the question, hey, why church? What is church? You got to talk about this. When we talk about the true church, and when we talk about the church and its local expression through local churches, you'll be hard-pressed to find churches that deny Jesus. Think about Jesus' words regarding the Pharisees. Kingsway, be perceptive. Be discerning. Not all who profess to know Jesus will be known by him on the final day. Think about the Sermon on the Mount. 
Many, many will say, Lord, Lord, and did signs and miracles. And what does the Lord Christ, the head of the church, say to these individuals? Depart. I never knew you. So, again, this isn't just a mere answer. When you speak of Christ, when you talk about, oh, yeah, Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of the living God, is that a template email that you regurgitate when you come to a church or when you talk about your testimony? Or do you believe that Jesus Christ is the deliverer and savior of you personally? That, that Christ Jesus is not some sort of fire insurance, but that he is the son of the living God who died for your sins, your sins, so that you might give your life in wholehearted devotion to him for his name's sake. When you reflect on your spiritual state before God, are you like a Peter or are you like a Pharisee? Do you, in spiritual simplicity, declare the reality that is Christ and Christ alone that saves you? That the gospel is summed up in the holy beauty of God and Christ's substitutionary death on the cross for your sins, your thorough repentance and your humble faith in Christ's provision alone? Is that the gospel you hold to? Oh, church, how I want us to be like Peter in this verse. And so Peter, in light of this context and warning to be perceptive, and in light of what the world proclaims Jesus to be, some sort of prophet and guru, some spiritual fad that's here and gone tomorrow, Peter summarizes the proclamation that typifies and grounds God's people. You want to talk about the identity of the church? It's Peter's answer. It's Peter's declaration. And how did Christ respond? First, Jesus declares that it's by grace and because of God that he reached this answer, which reminds us of the proclamation of the gospel, that believing in Jesus Christ isn't a box checked. Church, take comfort in this. When we share the gospel, parents to an unbelieving child, When you share the gospel, it's not a mental ascent category. It is the Lord God raising the dead to life. It is a grace of God that we are in this room and that we are part of the church. So often, oh, the church is self-righteous and bigoted and set apart. Only by the grace of God are we different from the world. We didn't do anything to deserve to be in this room, to be called a son of God, I could not proclaim what Peter said apart from Christ opening my eyes to my need and showing the glories that God amidst his holiness and my sin said, I chose you, I love you, my son died for you, and you're mine. That's the church. That's why we're set apart. It's not a club, not a fraternity. It's not a bunch of people that are great test takers, spiritually speaking, We're saved sinners. We're saved sinners by the grace of God. And so Jesus commends Peter for his answer in this. But look what he says afterwards in verses 18 through 20. Look with me. Jesus says this, And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. 
And whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosened in heaven. So in light of this, and in response to Peter's proclamation, Jesus tells Peter, on him, Jesus will build his church. There's no shortage of commentaries or ink spilt on what this means. Was it the man? Was it the profession? What's the rock? Most important thing to note, it's not just Peter the man that is the rock. It is the profession that he is making and representing the church. That Christ, that God is building a people until Christ's return based off of Peter's profession in adherence to what he just said. So what is the church? Why is she important? Why bother with church? The church, here it is, the definition. The church is the people of God who cherish and proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's the church. Why do we treasure the church? Because Christ, look at the text, because Christ gave his happy approval and authority and blessing and protection to his church. He did not say that the gates of hell would prevail against parachurch organizations or missions organizations or your Bible study or you name it. Christ smiles and delights and blesses and protects his people, his bride, his church. So when we talk about the church, there's two ways to talk about it as we dive in. There's the capital C church, the church universal, the universal church, and then there's the local church. The church universal is important because we would say, like, I'm a member of Kingsway Community Church. I profess to believe Jesus Christ. If I go a year from now to Josh Jr.'s church in Namibia and I meet believers, we're part of the same church. doesn't require you to be ethnic or national, whatever you name it, like Israel was. The proclamation of Peter that Jesus is the Christ, the gospel is the contents. That's, that's the church. And so I can go over there and I know that I'm part of the same church. Christ has one bride, not many, one, capital C church. But when you read the New Testament, you find a couple chapters, a couple passages, like the one we're studying right now, that speak to the abstract large capital C universal church. But more often the case, actually most often the case, when you see the church talked about, it's talked about in local, distinguishable, set-apart churches, local churches. Because again, the whole God has saved a people based off of the proclamation and adherence to the cherishment, faith, belief, and repentance in the gospel of Jesus Christ. He saved a people from the world to be set apart. The Bible word for that is holy. Christ has saved a holy church. And so it has to, by definition, be set apart. Yes, we believe in the church universal, but it has to be local, distinguished. We have to know who's in and who's out because the identity of the church is tied to that profession. So God saved a people to himself from the world. We're set apart because we love Jesus Christ. To the person, to the person that says, well, I'm, I'm just all about the capital C church, I typically find those persons are not very much involved with a local church. 
We, I love Big C Church. If you love the universal church, join a local church. Be part of a local body of believers. And that's why we care so much here at Kingsway about membership. Because the identity of the church depends on it. We're not a political group. We're not an ethnic group. We are a group of sinners saved by grace. That's the church. Full stop, period. That's the identity of it. Kingsway, what makes us the happiest place in the world is the grace of God in Jesus Christ and being saved from our sins. So God's church receives his special eye, his care, his Holy Spirit, and Jesus' promise in this passage is that the gates of hell will not prevail or overcome it. So we have Christ's protection that the world will not overcome us until he returns. That's wonderful news. But not only does this passage speak to the blessed identity of the church, again, it speaks to authority. It doesn't just stop with, thank you so much for your profession of faith. We love the Bible. We love Jesus. There is a body that Christ has saved, and there is an authority that has been given. So point two, the authority of the church, verses 18 and 19. Look with me at verses 18 and 19. We see that Christ gives his church keys. And there's this thing about binding and loosening and loosening and, and, and all the other weird forms. You say loosen like five times, you, you start double guessing that word. So there's, there's things being tied and untied, bound and loosened. So Jesus gives the church keys to the kingdom. Maybe I'm the only one that struggles with English in here. I, I'm like, <laughs> we're safe sinners, just by grace I'm here. So... A key, a key, what is a key? Think about that. It's, it, it seems to be an odd phrase. What is Jesus talking about, about keys, loosening, and binding? Think about a key in your life. I have a key to my house. With that key, I can choose to let visitors in and welcome them. And that key also locks my door and prevents intruders. There's an authority, an access, and a denial of access that's what a key does, and that's what binding and loosening is. It's, it's access affirmed and welcomed and denied here. So the authority that, the, that Christ has given his bride, this is the authority. What authority does, that, does the church have in your life? What does the church have that your podcast doesn't, that your Bible college professor doesn't have? Your, 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 your executive business Bible book study Whatever it is, you name it. What makes us unique as the church? It's this. The authority that Christ has given his bride is the authority to affirm or deny professions of faith. He did not, track with me, he did not give that authority to reside in individuals, but in the church corporate. That is a hot take Amongst some people, and, and if, you, if, you, if you look across the landscape of denominations, that, that is, we're planting a flag. I'm taking the beach on this point. But hear me, this authority, before, before your hair bristles too much, before you walk out, honey, we're looking for a new church. This authority is not from man. 
It's not from man. We didn't make the keys. We didn't make the keys. The keys of the kingdom that Jesus gives the church is the, is the authority bestowed by Christ to his church. And again, it's not just anybody that says, we're a church, hey, we're a nonprofit, look at us, we have a building. Christ didn't give everybody a key. Peter's confession, what's the identity of the church? Those that cherish and proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. Christ delegates his authority to his bride. Ephesians 5, 23, Paul says this, for the husband is the head of the wife. Typically we hear, we talk about that. But think about the second part in in relation to the nature and authority of the church. Even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior, the authority that the church has is derived from the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm not the church's savior. You're not the church's savior. Christ Jesus alone is the savior, the head, the rightful ruler, of which pastors are under shepherds. We're not prophets, thus saith the Lord. We're under shepherds. We're sinners saved by grace. Church members are sinners saved by grace, but we're united on one glorious front, the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know, the the safest person to have as a manager is somebody that's aware of their need. And that's the church. Because we know that we didn't grant access, we didn't get access because of merit. Caleb didn't do good enough to, to, to get to where he's at today. Jesus had to die for me to get in the church. So when we talk about authority, we're not talking about something nasty. We're talking about something that's a privilege. It's a privilege to be here. So if Christ has given his people authority, what kind of authority is he giving his people? It's from Christ. It's to those that identify as believers. This binding and loosing is the authority. Let's look at Deuteronomy for a second. What kind of authority did Israel have? We're going to get into some interesting verses. Hey, that person broke the law. Why don't you... uh, why don't we stone them? Let's, let's go ahead and kick them out of the camp. Do we have that kind of authority as the church? Or are we just like really bad at practicing it because we never do it? Of course we don't have that authority. Is the authority that we have political influence? Are we supposed to be um, overtaking uh, false ideologies and getting people in check? The bride of Christ looks very different than Old Testament Israel. In fact, many misunderstood Jesus. Here's your other hot take. Many misunderstood Jesus because they thought he was too political or that he wasn't political enough. But we get a hint of this authority in the passage that that Chris read for us this morning. Matthew 28, the Great Commission. This is where we we can spend a a couple sermons on this. The identity of Christ, the authority that he's given, the Great Commission. Look with me. What does Jesus say? All of those are tied to the mission 
of the church. What is that mission? Again, is it political? Is it moral? You know, get in line. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, in light of that authority, go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you until the end of the age. He's talking about his church. Because the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Because it's the church Christ promised to protect. All authority has been bestowed to the church from Christ. What kind of authority is it? It's spiritual and, and, and notice the correlation between our identity. We, like Peter, profess, Jesus, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And hey, what's your mission, church? Go tell people about Jesus Christ. And I'm with you until the end of the age. So church, it's really important for us to understand this, that text shows us that the New Testament people of God are completely different in, in, in several categories from the Old Testament people of God. The Old Testament nation was ethnically distinct. It was a nation state and a theocracy. We're not Israel. America is not God's nation, nor is it God's church. We hope to be salt and light in whatever nation that we're in. But the kingdom of heaven is not, doesn't have a national identity. Our identity is a spiritual, spiritual association with the contents and the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We don't want Christian nationalism. We want a holy church, a people set apart for God's good pleasure and glory. So we see that God has created his church and delegated his church, a spiritual authority tied to the mission of the church, tied to the identity of the church. It's just a juggling act of these three things. But what is the church binding and loosing? What's the administration of this authority look like? He uses the word binding and loosing again, Matthew 18, verse 15. Turn with me, Matthew 18, verse 15 through 20. What does he mean by binding and loosing? Matthew writes this. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you've gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Here we go. Truly, I say to you, church, king's way, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. And again, I say to you, if two or three of you agree on earth about things they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I among them. Really quick, that last phrase, what's the context? Is it just talking about whenever two or three people are gathered and, hey guys, I really want God to hear our prayers, so can we get two more Christians? Is that what, is that what the context is? Hey guys, we could have a killer fire 
book study if we just get two more people? No. The context is the church of Christ. And we see that the binding and loosing is the affirmation and denial, in this case, of someone's profession of faith. Someone's in the church. I am all about Jesus Christ. I believe in this gospel. He has changed my life. I've repented of sins and I am, I, I am heading to heaven because of Jesus Christ. Who has the spiritual authority to affirm this? Is it the individual or according to Matthew 18, the church? If I was to go to Canada and said, hey, guess what? I'm a Canadian citizen. I have my bags with me. I got my I love Canada shirt, A, and I'm there. Do I get to say I'm Canadian? Do I have that authority? No. I have to have an authority tell me with authority that I am a Canadian. The same is for the church in many ways. The church holds the authority to affirm and deny professions of faith. And it couldn't be more clear from this text. Our first gut reaction to these is, how dare you? <laughs> and if it isn't, you can, come on, let's be honest. It was. It really was. Normal feeling to have in our cultural moment. Our culture hates authority. It distrusts it. And America is all about our personal, individual rights. No one knows the depth and complexity and mystery of me other than me, myself, and I. But trusting your heart, as Jeremiah 17, 9, that's, that's the worst place for you to seat authority. Jeremiah 17, 9 says this, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Because of the fall, the way that we think, the way that we want, the way that we act is defaced because of sin. And we need God's grace to properly think and feel and act. In Kingsway, one of the graces of God for you is the church. We can look at Matthew 18, and we should, and go, that's, I feel things when I read Matthew 18. I want you to inverse it, though. So that's the denial. What's the joy? What's the hope? What's the good news? How does, if I thought, man, I was all about Peter's profession. I love Jesus and we're all about Jesus. And then you start talking about disciplining people. <laughs> That's not good news. This was good news. The good news of the authority that God has given the church is that dear brother and sister, you can be assured and affirmed in your salvation because it's not up to you. When you're down and <laughs> And in a dark place, Christ has given you a community to come along inside and say, Christ is better. Brother, persevere. Don't say those things about yourself. Because the authority is not in the individual. It's in the church. We're not just a bunch of Jesus-loving, Bible-holding individuals, individualistic, that just get together in a room and we hope that we can get along with each other. It's not, it's not individual, it's corporate. Hmm. 
This isn't a group of people that are religious and the pastors go, well, we really hope some of y'all make it to heaven. Membership. That's why we, again, our membership process, we interview each person that hopes to join Kingsway and we hope to hear a testimony of God's faithfulness to you. We hope to hear Peter's proclamation and of his affections for Jesus. It's one of the greatest joys of working for a church is to get to hear the, the people of God in love with Jesus Christ. Oh, the, the last couple of weeks we've been doing membership interviews as a team for these sweet, dear people that are going to be joining our church in time and time again. I wish you, I, I've got front row seats to what God is doing. I get to hear testimony after testimony. I was dead and said, I was blind, but now I see because of Jesus. And that we as the church get to come alongside those individuals and say, we affirm that. Come in, brother and sister. Be set apart with us from the world because God has saved a people from this world. We need the local church because it is the corporate authority where individual professions of faith are affirmed or denied. Your summer camp doesn't have that authority. Your Bible college professor doesn't have that authority. Christ's body through the local, distinguishable, gospel-proclaiming church does. For the Christian, for the longest time, Kingsway, the longest time, the church has affirmed the spiritual authority to do exactly what Matthew says in his word, to affirm and deny professions of faith. And it hasn't been until the last hundred years that we started giving that authority to individuals and based off of a prayer said when we were five. The sinner's prayer, in, in, in regard to church history, the ink hasn't even dried with how long that's been a part of our history. And so, as we look at Matthew 16 and we look at Matthew 18, I want you, as Jesus-loving, Bible-affirming Christians, what does Scripture say about authority, about spiritual authority? It's good, as Matthew said, grace and authority, we always, well, grace means more autonomy, not more management. It never means that. But what does Scripture say? Christ wants to bless his church and love his church and guard his church through this authority. We affirm, but then also, this is gracious. This is grace. But brothers and sisters, when we dis discipline a member of our church, the gospel is just as much over here as it is over there. There's just as much grace. God is just as much present over here because over here we're affirming and we're proclaiming and we're, you know, waving the flag regarding someone's profession of faith. Church discipline is saying, brother, sister, you are in habitual, unrepentant, false testimony. Let's, let's use that word. You, you're saying you're like Peter and that, he's that Jesus has changed your life, but, but your life doesn't testify to that. And so we as the church protect 
the gospel. We protect the people of God because again, the definition, the identity of the church, is it just a bunch of inclusive people that are just super gracious gracious, and, and get along with one another and we overlook and you know, we, 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 we don't get into anybody's business. Is that, is that what grace is? Is that what the church is? The church is a set apart people. And so when we in love confront brothers and sisters in sin, it's because of the set apartness. It's because of the beauty of Christ. It's because of the glory of God that he would save us from our sins. That's why we do it. That's why we practice it. And there's also, so God's, God's glory, protection of the body is part of, part of the answer why we discipline. But there's two other things. We want to love Love, biblically love, look out for the eternal betterment of our neighbor, our, 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 our member that is caught in sin. We want, to, we want to restore. That's the hope of discipline. I want to restore you to that testimony. I, come back to being set apart. Come back to treasuring Christ because he died for you. And secondly, if there was a false profession within our midst, and we put them under church discipline, we get to share the good news of Jesus Christ. That is a gospel moment because the the worst thing that we could do as the church is to falsely profess and affirm a salvation that is not true. I don't want that. And that's the weight that every pastor in this church and at gospel preaching churches feel. This authority is a privilege and, and, and life is too important. Christ is too glorious for me just to go, well, it was kind of socially awkward. So I just told them they were Christian and, you know, Lord willing. No, no. Because what we bind and what we loose, it matters. And we humbly, we humbly do this. We want to faithfully do this. It is of the utmost importance because of God and the integrity of the gospel and the seriousness of the authority that we with all humility bind and loose faithfully. So in closing, I was, I was thinking about all the ways that we could apply this text other than learning and, and growing in our paradigm of the identity and the authority of the church one of the, the best applications, this is, this is the easiest church sermon application you can get. Come to New Member Sunday a couple weeks from now. And I want you to see with fresh eyes what's happening, what's going down. Because these aren't just, oh, these are just 12 people joining our church. These are 12 people that, like Peter, identify with the resurrected Lord. And they get to join our church. And the, the gates of hell will not prevail against it. What a blessing. What an honor. When we look at baptism, when Matthew gets to preach that, that's going to be a fun sermon to hear. And we get to see what's represented with that water, the association with the life of Christ, that he's my substitute. Live the life that I could not live. Buried with him. Died the death that I deserved. And I'm raised to newness of life. That's the church. It's so simple, it hurts. And it's so glorious and it's so much fun. And there's no greater blessing than to be part of a local body of believers because you know what, Christian? You're not alone. 
God is saving a people. May we be a people that love the Bible, that love Jesus Christ, and love the church. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. And we thank you for the full revelation of Jesus Christ who died for our sins so that we might forsake the world and be set apart to newness of life. It is by grace and grace alone that we are here. And Lord, we want to thank you for your grace and your mercy on our state. Help us to be holy and set apart and to cherish the identity that you've bought by your blood. Protect us from being haughty with our holiness, that we aren't set apart by any other means or any other reason than your kindness to us. Protect us from from working and striving in the flesh. Lord, help us and give us faith to rest in you and in what you've done, because you have given us a bounty You've given us a bounty, Lord, in the person and work of Jesus Christ. To you be the glory, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.